L'audit de vos rêves se trouve déjà près de chez vous. Choisissez le modèle qui vous fait rêver et profitez-en immédiatement. Audi s'engage aujourd'hui à vos côtés avec Audi pour vous. Un ensemble d'offres et de services pour vous aider à mieux repartir. En ce moment, jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer vous sont offerts sur une sélection de modèles disponibles en stock. Découvrez l'ensemble de nos engagements Audi pour vous sur Audi.fr. Offre jusqu'à 6 mois de loyer suivant le premier versement offert. Offre LLD à particulier jusqu'au 30 juin 2020 sur 37 mois et 25 000 km par an maximum sur une sélection de véhicules en stock et si acceptation par Volkswagen Bank. Détail sur Audi.fr. Welcome to Test Podagogy. Today my guest is Dr. Luke Bearden. He is senior lecturer and member of the Autism Center at Sheffield Hallam University. He's been researching this area for more than 20 years and that's our topic for today. Luke, do you want to start by talking about why this perception perhaps exists of autism as, as a definable characteristic of somebody and how that's in no way the reality? Yeah, it's kind of part of what makes everybody human and at what part do you start breaking those down, those individuals down into groups? Mm. So I think at a sort of meta level, you can say, okay, well, everybody's a human being. And then you might arbitrarily, some people might say, well, there's men, there's women, there's people of five foot, there's people of six foot. And at some point, we as a society or clinicians particularly, and academics have decided there's a group that can come under this umbrella term of autism. One of the problems with that being as soon as you uh, adopt any kind of labelling, then society in general often assumes wrongly mm. that that means that they're a conglomerate, that all of those people under that label umbrella are the same. And clearly they're not. Everybody is yeah. as individual as everybody else. And do you think that uh, the way autism is presented in the media can can sort of make that situation worse. Absolutely, yeah. There's a massive exacerbation of what you might call autistic stereotypes. So over the years, over the decades, first of all came Rain Man and everybody <laughs> thought, oh, autistic people are all like Rain Man. Um, he was based on five different individuals, the history shows. Oh, right. Um, and not all of those were portrayed particularly. It was all very, the, the sort of key stereotypes that were brought out into the uh, character. Um And even subsequently to that, a lot of the documentaries are either your kind of savant type, high achiever in certain area type adult. Mm. Um, and savantism is not prolific in autism. So that's one of the myths people often think, oh, if you're autistic, you must be good, splendidly good at a particular skill. It's not true at all. About 10%, maybe something along those lines. Um, and then you've got the other class, if you like, of documentary of the sort of child from hell with huge <laughs> behavioural problems and autism being portrayed very much as a tragedy. And really, historically within the media, there's not been that much in between. I think over the last uh, sort of latter years, things are getting a lot better. There's There are um, truer, if you like, representations. But as soon as you represent autism, you're going to get it wrong anyway. Mm. As soon as you say, OK, this is an autistic person, then you can say, well, yeah, but that's not typical of an autistic person because there's no such thing as a typical autistic person. So it's a real, it's a real issue, really. What do you think of the label autism, then? Is it, is it, is it still useful despite that? Or? I'm very pro-identification of being autistic. Okay. Um, first and foremost, for the individual and for the family. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an important identity. If one is autistic and one doesn't know about it, then I think the danger is that one understands self uh, 
against a set of categories that aren't actually pertinent to you. Okay. So um, you're always comparing yourself to against what I call the predominant neurotypes of the majority of the population and coming up short because you're not actually part of that cognitive circle, if you like. So you sort of need an answer to So that, I to think it does. It provides massive answers to who you yeah. are as a person or who you, your child is as a child. So I think in terms of understanding the individual and where they're coming from, it's massively important. What I find problematic is not being autistic or not the individual being autistic per se it's the assumptions misconceptualizations of the broader society that are then um, implied or given to that individual without society getting to know that person as mm -hmm. a person I often say if you know somebody's autistic you know they're autistic that's it you don't know anything else about yeah. them at all you've got to get to know them as an autistic person to get any kind of insight into where they're coming from so I think you can't make any assumptions whatsoever just based on the label apart from that person is of a differing cognitive style do you think then that in schools especially having a label can take teachers down a route that perhaps leads to sort of off-the-shelf interventions for autism as a broad as a broad diagnosis or is it helpful that again that a teacher can get some answers to why a child might behave in a certain way it's a bit of both depends on how good the school is and how good <laughs> the teacher is yeah. but genuinely it really is so you're absolutely spot on one of the um one of the issues that you might have i've come across this so many times you go into a school you're trying to work out a decent placement for the autistic mm. child and somebody says oh i know all about autism because i taught jane last year who's yeah. autistic at which point you might say, well, that just demonstrates that you don't know what you're talking about because you're making those assumptions yeah. that Johnny is going to be like Jane. Um, uh, and there is that temptation of saying, OK, what works, in inverted commas, for autistic people? Oh, it's whatever intervention you might think is hot off the press. That's problematic because there's clearly no single support strategy that's going to be effective for all autistic people. Mm. So it is all about understanding that the person, A, is autistic, be that that means that traditional non-autistic ways of teaching and learning are highly likely to be less effective and thirdly most importantly trying to adapt those styles of teaching and learning to make it specific to the autistic need. Mm. And we, sp we spoke just before starting this about how difficult it might be to pinpoint a child with autism in the sense that some people can be very overt in, in, in presenting as autistic but some can mask their, their, their autism effectively. Absolutely this is a real problem in schools um, it would be remiss of me not to point out that lots of autistic people prefer to be known as autistic as opposed to a person with autism okay. um, which is commonly how, actually how professionals do refer to yeah. autistic people um, but most autistic adults certainly would say being autistic is an intrinsic part of self it's not sort of an add-on that you can do something about okay. and actually that sort of language is really important because it does dictate to a certain degree how the world understands and views autism should it be something that is fixable or cured and all of those sorts of things as opposed to this as a real human being um, going back to your uh, original question um, around masking and what's called echopraxic type behavior where uh, an individual um, might find themselves so uncomfortable in a social situation or a learning environment because they don't necessarily intuitively know what's expected of them in terms mm -hmm. of behaviour. So they copy other people's behaviour in order to kind of fly under the radar. They don't want to be in the spotlight. They want to get along like everybody else. So they adopt quite proactively, very consciously in some cases, um, this copying, masking type behaviour, which in the short term is a brilliant way of getting through the school day. 
However, it doesn't do anything to alleviate the anxiety that the individual is, is actually feeling. So what's going on behind the scenes may be very, very different to what the teacher sees. So you end up with a child who goes home and wrecks the house because their anxiety has literally hit levels that they can't cope with, or longer term has genuinely really serious mental health issues or, or well-being issues as a result of having to put on this facade on an ongoing basis. So you end up with really a sort of triple whammy. You've got a school who genuinely believes there's no issue with a child mm. because he or she, often she, is putting on this amazing mask. Then you've got a child who is autistic and highly anxious and then you've got an environment in which nobody actually believes this is going on. So the individual is left unsupported around his or her levels of anxiety so it's a very real problem it's a very real issue is that where the danger of um what some of our same columnist nancy gets often calls parent blaming in the sense that oh they behave at school so and if they're having problems at home, that must be your parenting it can't be anything else of course absolutely uh, that's a that's a brilliant observation this I, I don't know whether as a society we like parent blaming or maybe it's an easy option mm. or whether people genuinely feel that it's something to do with parenting. Awesome doesn't come from bad parenting. Yeah. That is an absolute categorical black and white. Um, although still to this day, sometimes as soon as your child gets diagnosed of awesome, you're offered uh, parent counselling and parent therapy and okay. family therapy and things like this, which is a absolute nonsense as far as I can tell in terms of supporting the autistic child. Mm. Um, and certainly from an educational point of view, I can find, I, I, I understand why a school might think, well, if all the problems are at home, it must be as, as a result of the environment at home as opposed to anything else. I tend to find it's the build-up of stress and anxiety during the school day that ironically the child actually feels comfortable enough to express her anxiety in a familiar yeah. environment, which tends to be at home. And the, the sort of correlation with behaviour problems in, in schools, you know, um, it can be, behaviour can be attributed to autism wrongly and then or behaviour can be not attributed to autism when it should be. Absolutely, yeah. I think one of the things that as a society we're incredibly bad at is making the assumption there is any such thing as autistic behaviour, because mm. there isn't. There's yeah. literally no behaviour that can be displayed by an autistic person that can't be displayed by anybody else. Mm. Otherwise, identifying autistic people would be dead easy yeah. to say, do you do that? Yeah. Um, X plus Y equals Z sort of thing and yet we still talk about autistic behaviours. Mm. Um, so you're right, that there are presumably some kids out there who behave in all sorts of ways who aren't autistic, and people say, oh, well, they must be autistic. Mm. Um, but I think more worryingly is when you have an autistic individual who is judged as a result of their behaviour, which isn't, in inverted commas, behavioural, in mm. terms of it's not a conscious decision to disrupt or anything. It usually stems from having massive problems within that particular environment, and it is usually, if not always, a form of communication, not necessarily a deliberate form of communication, but it should be telling us something. If this person is that stressed, then we need to be doing something about mm. it. One of the things that I think is becoming very, very slowly, but um, coming to the fore, is the whole intersectionality with race. Mm. So um, being autistic is being in a minority group. Black and ethnic minorities are, by definition, in a minority group. When you put those two together and have, for example, a black autistic child, um, the reports, certainly anecdotal reports from my experience from parents of black autistic kids, usually boys, is that they struggle even more um, than their peers in terms of getting a, an identification or a diagnosis because there is this almost 
underlying assumption that black boys behave in certain ways mm. that might not necessarily be the best of behavior. And as a result, they're branded very unfairly as, well, they're just the, in inverted commas, naughty black boy, mm. when the reality is actually they are an autistic black boy who remains undiagnosed. And, and I guess extending from that, you get poverty involved in, 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 cer in certain situations and you get um, the school environment itself can, can be a contributory factor. I'm picking all that as a teacher. Is that a difficult job? Is that a job for them even? I mean, who, where's the guidance come from on this? That's a fantastic question. You're full of good questions <laughs> this afternoon. Um, education is a teacher's responsibility. Mm. If being autistic plays a part in the education of a child, which it invariably will do, mm. then that becomes a responsibility of the teacher. Um, it's very flippant to say that, but the reality is if that's your role in life, is part of pedagogy and teaching, um, and autism plays a part in that, and you have a child who is autistic within your classroom, then you need to be taken out on board. The reality is far, far more difficult because, of course, teachers uh, have big workloads, they've got lots of kids, they're not necessarily particularly well trained in understanding autism, understanding autistic presentation, um, especially the more subtle sides of things like you were mentioning earlier about masking um, and often those kids are flying under the radar so in terms of responsibility it becomes an incredibly grey area mm. around who actually identifies these children to then refer on to um, experts in, in terms of diagnosis um, which is why I've always been a, a big fan of self-referral or referral from the family even though um, it might be beneficial to have the school's backing, I think parents should be allowed, in inverted commas again, to refer on to a diagnosis without any support from education if they don't, if, if education aren't particularly interested in going down that route. Is it about being open-minded then, perhaps, to the possibility of autism involved in a situation? If you have a child who perhaps is having some behaviour problems, or the parents are saying, you know, having real struggles at home, what's happening at school and they're always fine at school it, is, is it then the teacher might just have it in their toolbox in their head saying oh is this an area we should just cover or I think sometimes it's, it's it's very very simple in terms of actually listening and believing to parents mm. I think uh, there are so many parents who find it very difficult to communicate with school mm. around what life is like for them at home especially if school don't see it at school um, but parents are to be believed, they're not making these things up. Yeah. Um, and I think if a parent has done their homework and they genuinely think that there's a likelihood of their child being autistic, um, then there need to be some steps taken along the lines of trying to work things out. If you're working with an autistic child and not acknowledging that they're autistic, then the risk of doing damage or harm to that child goes up exponentially. So whatever the, the um, the signs are they need to be taken very very seriously in a sense it's just as useful to rule autism out as it is to rule it in mm. so I think any kind of identification of thinking well this child might be somewhere on the spectrum might be autistic then there needs to be some level of investigation. So we talk a bit about the spectrum as well then I mean you know the the, the, the visualisation you create when someone says spectrum is, oh, it's a severe end and a, and a, and a, and a light end. And I, yep. I hate to use those terms, but just to, just to demonstrate the point. And it, that's not really what we're saying, is it, in, in many ways? It, it's more of, more of a vari variability than just a, a linear line. Yeah, and I, I, I have to um, retrospectively 
apologise for saying on the spectrum. It's a, it's a phrase I never ever used. I don't think I've ever used it before um, because I don't like it. I don't yeah. actually uh, like the conceptualisation of the spectrum in the way that you have again usually usefully outlined in terms of severity. Mm. So we've got to get rid of functioning labels. Mm. We have absolutely got to get rid of. Um, labels like severe, mild, high functioning, low functioning, because they're a nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, and I know some people would disagree with me, but I think actually when people are talking about severe autism, they're actually talking about autism with additional learning disabilities or uh, other comorbidities. Um, my view is that autism doesn't equate to anything at all in terms of functioning until you include the environment. So. I've got a trio of golden rules, but the first one of which is always awesome plus the environment equals outcome. Okay. So that outcome might be massively positive, it might be massively negative, but the person who is autistic remains the same. They have the same autistic brain. So it's the environment, the combination of the autistic child or adult and the environment that then subsequently leads on to the outcome. Now I then think, okay, if you want a successful outcome for the autistic person and we can happily or not happily accept that you can't change an autistic person's brain. The only thing left to change is the environment, mm. which usually means the people within it, not necessarily, but um, often. So I think you can end up with um, an autistic person, in your example, in a school who isn't being supported at all well, who ends up being very, very low functioning within that environment. You've got the same autistic child with brilliant support, brilliant sp uh, understanding, good teaching and learning, who ends up the A-star student. Same autistic kid, different environment, different outcome. Is it different environment for different autistic uh, children with autism? Or autistic absolutely. Children as well? yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, they'd all go to the same sort yeah, of school. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Um, people sometimes say to me, oh, should I ch send my child to a special school or an autism-specific school or is mainstream better? And I always say, look, show me the child. Show me the school. Mm. Show me the teacher. Show me the form teacher. Show me the size of the playground. Yeah. Show me the smell of the canteen. They're all factors that could make or break that particular child's environment and therefore outcome it's so so specific and it might change from year to year as well so you've got to keep on your toes but it's never boring so it's got we've got to have some flexibility in the system then where opting for a special school for example isn't a, a lifetime in special school it's it's oh where are we with this with this child now where are, what are their needs at this point or support absolutely. needs absolutely and i think that flexibility is absolutely critical even within schools that um you might assume don't have that level of flexibility so a lot of secondary mainstream schools mm. actually just a little bit of understanding can lead to all sorts of flexibility that doesn't have to cost very much money or anything at all mm. but having that level of understanding of what that autistic child might require so it was an amazing uh, article I think um, I, I don't know if it was a published article but a piece of writing years and years ago um, and just the heading of it was called we can learn with our shoes off as a brilliant article written by an autistic child yeah. who was just saying, look, I need to take my shoes off to learn effectively. Yeah. It's okay to let me do that. Yeah. Just that tiny little thing will make the difference to me between being able to listen to your voice and learn or just being so uncomfortable from a sensory perspective because this kid was tactile defensive on his feet. So, mm. you know, I'm, I'm in pain on my feet, so let me take my shoes off. Yeah. Um, and what his mum kept finding was, oh, no, against school policy to take your shoes off, all of those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. And it, that does raise an interesting point. S lots of schools, for very good reasons, as you'll know, will have school uniform policies. I would say, look, is that actually, for some kids, unlawful under the Equality Act? If mm. you can demonstrate that that puts that autistic child 
a significant disadvantage and not allowing the child to undo their top barn or not necessarily wear a tie in that way or whatever it might be, then we're doing something wrong. So sometimes it's that level of understanding and that level of flexibility that can go a long way for the autistic child. And again, I think it's interesting that the excuse not to do that is often, oh, but we're setting a precedent, where in my experience, both two of my siblings are teachers, my mum was a teacher, they tell me that kids don't ever see it that way. They understand why a, a rule might be broken for a certain situation or a certain child. There's not this sort of house of cards scenario where the whole behaviour system comes crashing down. Absolutely. Going back to the example we can learn with our shoes off, and it was kind of like, oh, well, if he does it, the rest of the school do No, they won't. Yeah. <laughs> They're not interested in taking their shoes off. Yeah, yeah. If they are, what's the big deal? You can stick them back on at the end of the... Yeah. And by the way, Miss So-and-so, you've got your shoes off behind the desk anyway. Yeah. So, um, no, you're absolutely right. Kids aren't anywhere near as inflexible as some adults seem to make out. So uh, I, I find, actually, um, that that's one of the really good areas to start, is education of the other kids. Mm. Um and putting forward really instilling in kids from a young age that difference doesn't equate to negativity. Um, being in a minority group doesn't mean that there's something wrong or lesser about a particular person. Um, and more importantly than any of that, teaching that individual that being in a minority group and being different doesn't make you lesser or lesser of a human being. Would that be one, another one of your golden rules or have you got two different ones? For there's two, well, there's, they, they come under the umbrella of golden rules. There's a golden uh, equation, a golden notion and a go golden concept. That, okay. that isn't one of them, actually. That's, but I, I preach that enough anyway, <laughs> as it is. Um, the other two, let's see if I've got these right. I've only just written about these fairly recently. Um, one of them is if you're going to apply a way of engaging an autistic person, but you do so in the way that you would traditionally do for the non-autistic population, be that talking to them, teaching them, supporting them in whatever way, shape or form, if you do that in a way that is usually successful for other non-autistic people, then the chance of it working effectively for that autistic person goes down. Okay. In other words, if you do things in the traditional way for the majority of people, then for that minority group it's probably not going to work very effectively and can actually potentially be problematic. Do you mean pastorally, um, uh, pedagogically? Any, literally, that's why I quite like it as a concept, yeah, because yeah. it covers everything. When you parent an autistic child, you need to parent in a different way, because they are by definition different. Mm. Um, the sensory environment needs to be different. Teaching probably needs to have some differences, however minor they might appear. If you're marrying an autistic person, then your wedding might be different. It goes on. It mm. permeates through everything. It doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't make a wrong way of doing it. It just means we've got to understand that those subtle differences are actually really important. Mm. And then the third notion, um, golden rule if you like, is what you put in needs to balance out in terms of what you get out. Okay. So there's no point in spending hours and hours and hours and hours trying to get an autistic kid to develop a skill that in the long run they're not going to use. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, that's fairly simple. Well, it sounds fairly simple, but we see it in daily yeah, yeah, practice. Yeah. No, you must learn to handwrite. Why? Yeah. Nobody writes anymore. Teach them to touch type. It's a much better skill. Mm. And if you've got a kid who uh, have difficulty with fine motor coordination, for example, with proprioception, uh, actually find grip really difficult in terms of writing the, using the pen or pencil, and they take five times as long as their peer to write a sentence, give them a laptop. It makes everybody's life a lot easier. Um, so that's just one example of dozens you can give. In is terms that, of I hate to use the phrase, is that 
almost advising teachers to pick their battles in that sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not just not just teachers, everybody concerned. So we as a society seem obsessed with identifying what kids are not very good at mm. and rectifying that, which is understandable to a certain degree. But you've got to ask yourself with an autistic kid, do they actually want that skill? Are they yeah. ever going to use that? Or is it the sort of thing that as soon as they can get away with not using, they're never going to do it again? Yeah. So um, absolutely support kids to the best of your ability and for the best long-term solutions for them in terms of living as a human being, but understand that what that or the autistic child's goals are likely to be may differ from the traditional goals of the predominant neurotype. Mm. It's quite an interesting point of view, isn't it? Because yeah, we do. We we look at send topics quite a little, quite a lot in different areas, and you get this split of opinion where people say, no, no, it shouldn't define me in any way. Um, I don't want to be treated any differently just because I have a diagnosis of of whatever that might be. And yet, as you say, there are things that will help support that child. That those that doesn't necessarily mean they're defined by it, mm -hmm. but it it's a consideration. It's interesting at what level we are talking about in terms of being treated. So you mm. say, I want to be treated in the same way as everybody else. That doesn't mean to say that we're all robots yeah. and everybody responds in the same way to everything. Mm. Um, on the other hand, at a slightly more macro level, um, you might come across an autistic child who says, I want to be treated in the same way as everybody else in terms of respect for me as a human being. Mm. I want to be communicated with effectively. I want to be in an environment that doesn't cause me anxiety. I don't want onerous pressure on doing things that I find objectionable. So mm. that's been treated in a, in a sense in the same way as my non-autistic peers. But actually, under each of those umbrellas, I might need or require a different type of understanding or a different type of support or a different type of lesson or whatever it might be. So I, I think kids don't necessarily want to stand out and say, oh, I am the autistic one and I am different and what have you. Um, and lots of autistic kids want to fit in yeah. um, with everybody else in terms of having friends and you know, social hierarchies and all of those sorts of things. That doesn't make them any less autistic. Um, and I think actually a lot of the autistic individuals who don't want the label, it's not as a result of not wanting to be autistic, it's wanting the rest of the world to stop being so stupid about understanding what being autistic actually entails. So I think a lot of work needs to be done around um, dispelling the myths within society around what it means to be autistic to allow autistic people to be comfortable in being autistic. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you almost the the more that that child wants to to fit in and, and uh, the phrase normal, but I'm yeah. using it for the purpose of this, the less likely they are to have support in a school because the teachers more likely say, "Oh, I don't have to worry about them," even though they may need that support just as much as another child. I mean, it, it it's quite, seems so complex. And it is. I, I think what's um, sometimes useful is um, rather than using theories of disability, mm. um, I like to think in terms of theories of disadvantage. Okay. So being autistic is n not necessarily disabling. Okay. So being autistic in an autism-friendly environment might be really positive. Mm. Um, so you only have to, oh, I need to be careful what I say here, but uh, there's, there's a, a, a saying, uh, universities are safe havens for the socially eccentric, which isn't okay. saying that you know all university lecturers are autistic, but um, there is something about that sort of very stereotypical sitting in an ivory tower doing research day after day mm. on your own around a very specific subject <laughs> yeah. that nobody else is interested in, um, might fit, you never know, a, a, a person who has a diagnosis of autism. Um, not saying all autistic people are like that and not saying all people who are like that are autistic, but there must be some overlap, one would think. 
Um, and that might be um, an environment where uh, it's very awesome friendly and the outcome is very, very positive for that person. You might take that same person and put them in uh, a different environment where they're expected to talk about, I don't know, uh, the latest soap opera that they might find absolutely boring to death and, uh, and feel very uncomfortable doing mm. and um, expecting to understand all sorts of socials and all of a sudden being autistic is then at a disadvantage. So they're the same person, uh, they're the same autistic individual. Um, is it right to call that person disabled when in one environment they don't have any kind of disabling factors associated with being autistic, whereas in another environment they appear really quite disabled? So I think it's actually more effective to talk about a theory of disadvantage that being autistic in most environments, by definition because you're in the minority, is likely to be a significant disadvantage. Now is that disadvantage as a direct result of being autistic or, as I would suggest, it's a result of being autistic plus being in that environment. Mm. So again, we go back to changing that environment to decrease the risk of disadvantage. All of a sudden, you don't have a problem. And is that where some, um, I don't wish to say all teachers are like this, but if, if a child is presenting with a certain type of behaviour and, and someone says, oh, you know, autism is possibly there, and they're saying, but they behave perfectly well in this environment and that environment and that environment, it's inconsistent. So they're choosing to misbehave in that environment. Absolutely. And it amazes me when people come out with things like that. Yeah. It astonishes me. You sort of turn around and say, well, do you, do you behave in exactly the same yeah. way? Are you going to behave the same way when you're stood up in assembly this morning compared to nine o'clock tonight after three bottles of, uh, three bottles, three glasses of red wine? <laughs> maybe um, three bottles. Maybe three bottles. Yeah. Um, you know, people do behave differently in different environments. Um, some of it by choice, some of it not. One of the things that I think we've got to understand when it comes to autistic children, um, if there are issues around behaviour, then it's a very, very likely scenario that that individual is in acute stress, mm -hmm. um, which actually longer term can lead to trauma, post-traumatic type stress mm. um, trauma uh, as a result of that ongoing day by day by day level of anxiety. Mm. Now, if that's being... Um, seen in terms of behaviour, then rather than making the assumption that it's a naughty child or uh, a deliberately disruptive child, we need to work out what's causing the anxiety that, that, that's then leading on to the behaviour. And it's not that uncommon that you have a child who works out, if I behave in this way, I get excluded. Brilliant. That's a bonus for me. Mm. I want to be excluded because I find this particular environment so stressful. Mm. So what I've learned then is when I have to go back into that environment, I'll just behave that same way again and get excluded again or go to isolation. Isolation for some autistic kids, I'm not saying it's good for all autistic children, but for some autistic children being in um, an environment where they're on their own and they don't have all the stress of those people around them, it's actually a bonus, it's a good thing. Yeah. So that we, we as an educational um, environment, might be encouraging that sort of disruptive behaviour unknowingly because we don't understand the rationale of the autistic child. When if if isolation is a is a nice environment for them, we can recreate that in a classroom. Of course. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. There's nothing. I mean, libraries are uh, um, fantastic environments in which to learn. So, at the university, if you're going to get on with your uh, coursework, you probably are going to choose the library over going to the pub. Yeah. And um, because the environment is more conducive to learning. Now, mm. If you're an autistic child who loves learning and finds the classroom disruptive because of all of the other kids, actually being in isolation might be a much better option. So you, rather than being seen as, oh, that's the naughty child, you might think, well, actually, that's the star pupil. 
because mm. they're the ones who are the most willing to learn and they're yeah. deliberately trying to figure out ways of doing so. So it's just a different way of looking at the same child, what we call looking at uh, life through the autistic lens. So trying to have that empathic understanding of what it's like to be that autistic child to work out subsequently why the child is behaving in those particular ways. It's interesting because when we put something out around autism tips or myths, it's always one of the most read aspects on our website. And I put that down to a nervousness in teaching around how to support these children. Like you want to support every child, but how, how do you support autism? And I think what perhaps what you're getting at is teachers find it so complex because it is complex because the, there is no magic button you're going to press that makes your class autism friendly or you know th those sort of phrases come up now you, you get this you know I've got an autistic friendly classroom and from what you're saying that doesn't really exist you know yeah it's incredibly difficult and I, do, I think most teachers are a great bunch of individuals who want to do their best in terms mm -hmm. of teaching and learning throw autism into the mix and that invariably makes it more complicated mm -hmm. invariably by definition it has to because you've got a population of individuals or an individual for whom teaching and learning is likely to be needed to be moulded more specifically to their needs otherwise they're going to be at a disadvantage or failing and then you have the, the or sorry teachers have this expectation that they are the ones who are going to come up with this is what we need to do to adapt but then I'm saying it's like you know I, I've got I've been teaching about this subject and, and trying to learn about this subject for decades and I haven't got a clue mm really compared yeah. to the knowledge that, that is out there to, to, to understand about autism um, and you learn something new from every single autistic person you engage with and you know there are a lot of them out there mm. so there's always more to learn and that's from somebody who only works in the autism field so yeah. I think being a teacher um, and being having these level of expectations to engage with the autistic community without really really good solid levels of support is actually massively unfair on the teacher uh, massively unfair on the autistic child massively unfair on the family I would love it if teachers had more support so I'm starting my course tomorrow and there are going to be teachers on it okay. um, and I love that I love that some schools are seeing fit to send their teachers on postgraduate awards rather than having an inset day it's great to have an inset day but teachers need more so um, we know now that the government has said, okay, well, teach trainers need training in autism. Okay, well, so what? H how much training? Who yeah. provides that training? And Is to it who, autistic I guess? Led? Well, for those teachers, for those uh, In terms of, like, trainers. do you have a, a sort of, in a, a, school, a given school, a teacher who specialises in that and can disseminate the knowledge down? Or, I mean, the likelihood, isn't it, that every teacher will teach an autistic child, if not every year, every couple of years? So does every teacher need that knowledge Absolutely, it's a great question. Yeah. Um, and it's, it goes back to having that level of flexibility within education. Um, and a lot of it also depends on resources as well. Mm. Um, I only very briefly touched on it a moment ago, but there are a growing number of autistic trainers um, within education. We're not making anywhere near the best use of those individuals. Yeah. These are brilliant people who can go in and say, well, this is what life was like for me as a kid. I know it's not gonna be the same for these other kids, but I've got a greater chance of empathizing with those autistic kids compared to a non-autistic trainer. Mm. Um, one would imagine anyway. And certainly the autistic trainers I know are um, absolutely fabulous. So um, uh, there are resources at hand. Um, I think that we've got a long way to go within the field of education to understand what steps need to be taken. Because at the moment we're asking the wrong questions. We're saying, what do we do to teach autistic kids? 
And as we've both said, that's an impossible question to yeah. answer. So the fact that we're asking it shows that we're barking up the wrong tree. And a, a growing sort of uh, trend, if you will, at the moment is to justify certain teaching approaches because you might have an autistic child in your school. So um, we have silent corridors because we know that's a better environment for, for autistic children. We have silent classrooms and very ordered behaviour structures because that's a better option for autistic children. Or the reverse of that, we have a very nurturing um, discovery-based approach because it's better for autistic learners. Do you think that's unhelpful? Those, or do you appreciate the effort, but also are wary of, of again, designations of certain behaviours? Um, I'm, I'm massively in favour of anything that is likely to make the life of the autistic kid better in school. Mm. Um, and I think having options available uh, can only be a good thing. So I'm a big favour, for example, of having staggered transition times, which is similar to your idea in terms of the signing yeah. uh, corridors. So that corridor crush can be a nightmare for some autistic kids with a whole sensory thing attached to it. So if you have staggered transition times, you just get rid of that straight away. Mm. Get rid of the noise of the school bell. So that's, that's not traumatic for kids who have auditory sensitivity. And those other examples that you gave are only ever really likely to benefit autistic kids. There's nothing that you said there that made you think, actually, that's going to be negative for autistic kids. Yeah. And it's not going to be negative for any other kids as well. So if there's things that we can do that are likely to be more effective for autistic kids that isn't going to do any harm to anybody else, absolutely go for it. Mm. So I think we should be going for a kind of what you might say is a pluralist approach to communication. So everything that we say in class, we can back up with visual forms of communication um, that we can give uh, homework if we're going to make kids do homework. We're going to do it in an accessible format for all kids so that they have the option of is it going to be looking like this? Is it going to be on screen? Is it going to be on paper? Um, and yes, it takes additional work, but only as a one-off. Once you've got those resources, you've got them then for the following year. So if you've got an autistic kid who actually needs a software program to understand how to engage with a particular mathematical problem, and then you've got another autistic kid who actually needs to be able to turn a page to look at the next one, and that's the way that they process information. Having both of them, then, that's only going to advantage autistic kids and other uh, other kids as well. So, no, I think it's fantastic that you know the world is beginning to move forward. We have got supermarkets saying we've got autism-friendly yeah. hour. You know, it's nowhere near enough to reduce that level of disadvantage so that it becomes equal. But it's moving in the right direction, mm. definitely. One thing that does concern me, though, given the supermarkets, like okay, we've got a supermarket, we've got our autism-friendly hour. That means we've done enough. No, no, that means you've taken one small step forward. You've mm. still got a lot more to go until you can say you've done enough. And we've spoken a bit as, as well about the, the masking and the wanting to fit in. As in schools, we so often think about intervention in, in an academic sense. This child is struggling to learn. What can we put in place? But from what you said, the child of autism may be struggling acutely with the social side of being in, an, in a school or, you know, just, just the social hierarchies or the relationship building or, you know, that, that anxiety you spoke of. Do we know what can help on that side of, of, of things? And do you think that gets missed more than the academic side? It's a whole mixture. I think the, an important question from the outset is what's going to be of benefit to that autistic child. Mm. So we might say, OK, well, this child is not engaging socially this is a problem, rather than taking a step back and saying, why is this child not engaging socially? Mm. Well, it might be because she has absolutely no interest in engaging socially. Mm. 
She might be able to, but she might just not want to. So forcing a child into that situation against her wishes might be counterintuitive. And we should appreciate that that's Absolutely. fine, a, an okay choice for her to make. That's what I believe. I genuinely believe that. Um, so you might have a child who chooses to go to the library at lunchtime instead of going out and playing with her friends because for that child, the chaotic in-between lesson time is the worst bit of the day, not the best bit mm. of the day. And actually, to reduce anxiety, going to the library is massively fulfilling. And if she doesn't have a particular need or desire for a big circle of friends, that should be her choice. However, if there's a child who is isolating herself to go to the library because she's being terrified of being bullied, but does actually want to engage out there in the playground, she will need a totally different support mm. s structure compared to her friend who just wants to sit in the library on her own. So it all comes down to that question of why, what's going on. So going back to that theory of disadvantage, there are some kids who might be struggling academically and that's where the focus often tends to be. I worry sometimes about what yardstick are we using to gauge achievement. Mm. So if you've got an autistic child who's not struggling academically, but actually he could be doing so much better because we're not still not teaching in the right way. Is that child still not just as much of in need as a child who is maybe struggling more academically um, because they're not fulfilling their potential? So mm. it should be against individual potential rather than just a generic yardstick of saying, oh, well, they're mid-range mid academically, so yeah. they must be okay. Yeah. Um, so I still think we're doing a disservice to some autistic kids in the academic side of things as well as the social side of things. Um, as well as generic kind of needs. So the kind of non-curriculum subjects, I think, are of absolute crucial importance for autistic kids in terms, of, in terms of understanding the world, in terms of understanding self. So we have courses, for example, for uh, teaching the world about being autistic. Okay. Where are the courses for the autistic children to learn about being autistic, yeah. about what it means to them? Where are the courses for those autistic kids to learn about non-autistic kids. Yeah, the world. Is for the world. Yeah. yeah. So I think actually, if I was to take a, an average non-autistic child and stick them in an autism specific school, they would probably freak out a little bit, mm -hmm. maybe quite a lot, Yeah, yeah. Um, without giving them some understanding of who these kids are, why they're behaving in those particular ways. Um, and I worry sometimes about sending the autistic kid into a mainstream environment, again, without that support in terms of understanding what's going on. Without that scaffold, actually. In Absolutely, the yeah. yeah. And then we wonder why these we're, we're failing these kids. And we are. We are failing these kids. So levels of exclusion for autistic kids is way higher, generally speaking, than non-autistic kids. Um, the level of comorbidity around secondary psychiatric disorders, way, way higher mm. in autistic kids. Levels of suicidal ideation and those sorts of major problems, way, way higher in autistic kids. So it's not all just education, but autistic kids in general, we are definitely not getting it right. And uh, quite a lot of this is, as you say, such a unique approach to the individual. Are we always going to get the communication back from the, ch the autistic child about, about all these preferences that they have? And if, and if they can't communicate these needs, how else can you, can you find them, essentially? Um, so in answer to the first part of your question, no. Mm. You, you can't assume you're going to sit an autistic kid down and say, right, what do you want? Yeah. So your kid, the autistic kid themselves may have no clue no, in terms yeah, yeah. of what's going to be effective for them. So then it does come down to the team of people around that autistic child, as it is for any other child as well. Mm. But taking that person 
um, their personality, their skill level, their cognitive style, their academic ability, all of those things together, um, as well as all of the environmental issues and our knowledge and understanding of autism to then amalgamate together and to say, okay, what are we going to do first and foremost to decrease anxiety levels for this particular child? So we know one of the crucial things about learning is you learn more effectively when you're chilled out, mm. basically. Um, if you're proper stressed, then the chances of you learning go down. Mm. So I think we don't take well-being in, as seriously enough in educa within education. In general, yeah. In general. It should yeah. be to absolutely top of the list. Top of every list in terms of league tables is how happy are your kids, yeah. not how many are getting A to C, I think. Mm. Um, the government might disagree with <laughs> that. But unhappy kids are going to not do as well academically and not do as well in life. Mm. So I, I think this... Uh, intense pressure on schools to get academic results without taking into account other maybe less academic or non-curriculum areas of life can be problematic for the autistic population mm. um, which is one of the reasons why we end up with unhappy autistic kids. And do you think then in, in general that we're getting it right in education at the moment? We're moving in the right direction? Are we getting it very wrong at the moment? Uh, I think on an individual schools basis, there are some schools that are doing really, really well. Mm. In a general sense, I think the statistics would have to say we're still getting it wrong. Mm. Otherwise, um, kids wouldn't be getting excluded. They, we, we wouldn't have these constant referrals to people referral units or behaviour units or, or onto special schools where mainstream has. Um, failed in inverted commas that particular autistic child um, we wouldn't have the, um, the the level of comorbidity with psychiatric illness in adolescents and, and young adults and we wouldn't have adults who are very capable of saying the reason that I'm a traumatised grown up is because of my experience at school so in a general sense we've got a long way to go but there is increasingly good practice in specific individual schools without a shadow of a doubt, which is fantastic, obviously, to see. And we should be trying to learn from them as much as possible, presumably. Absolutely, and, and that's the thing, it, it can work. I, I always find myself welling up whenever I give this example. The, one of the best examples of true inclusion I've ever come across, and for me, inclusion is always is all around feeling accepted. Mm. It's not the same as integration, or it's not the same as other people's maybe definition of inclusion, about feeling happy, feeling respectable, respected for who you are not necessarily you know what your label is or, or how you stand out um, against your peers and this is an example of a young lady who was going into secondary mainstream school who had real problems with writing um, so the school offered her a laptop but she didn't want to stand out she said I don't I, I feel really uncomfortable so they gave the entire year group laptops oh wow which I just thought was absolutely stunning display of yeah. inclusive practice what a lovely note to end on, on the podcast. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much indeed.